morning, everybody. Oh, wonderful to see you and be with you this morning. I'd like to start by relating a dream that I had. Um, it's interesting. I actually had this dream in January, in, in the middle of the winter. And the dream takes place in the summer. And now here we are in the summer again, and the dream is finally coming alive for me. So it's interesting. It's almost like the dream had to thaw out. So here's the dream that I wrote down. I'm in Texas, and I'm sitting with my friend George in his patio. His legs were crossed, one ankle on the opposite knee. He was wearing blue silk socks, and I was admiring his clearly hand-stitched brown leather shoes. They weren't far removed from their animal. We had just eaten barbecue in a German town in the hill country, and now we were in his backyard, which heaved under the humidity, smoking and talking. George's shoes shone in the late afternoon sun. A question rose up in me, begging to be asked. My God, where did you get those shoes? George smiled as if he had been waiting for me to ask that question. <laughs> question and response arose together, turning in the late afternoon of the dream. Ah, uh, yes, he said. I had them made especially. The rest of this dream was devoted to me walking the floor and waltzing across Texas in search of a cobbler who could stitch me my own pair of leather shoes. I also seemed to be looking for an apartment, a new place to live, but nothing felt quite right. And the last place I saw was positively dilapidated. And that's how I eventually woke up, shoeless and homeless. I actually had a lot of difficulty uh, with this talk. Um, I was very close to canceling it. Actually, up until about two hours ago, I was I was thinking about that, and I I talked with Laura, and well, I had, I. Had, I opened up my notebook and the first thing was that dream. And I read that and then I went to go talk with Laura and um, I changed my mind. And she helped me change my mind. And yesterday when I was beginning to kind of worry about the talk, um, I kind of semi-seriously asked Kaishan and Ryan if they had any suggestions for a topic. <laughs> and I think uh, Kaishan said, we, we want to hear what you're practicing with. What's alive for you? And I spontaneously answered 
and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the first thing I said is I'm practicing with my resistance to being completely enmeshed in this Sangha. You know, the boundaries uh, between, you know, Ian and the rest of the Sangha were, there was a threat there and I was resisting that. And then the second thing I, I said was I could also talk about how to navigate the the kind of ill-defined border between, you know, wholesome devotional activity and and like resentment-fueled overworking and self-harm. Like what, where does one end and the other begin? And... I think that was kind of the end of, I was kind of relieved because I asked Sangha members for advice and then they said, say what's alive. And these things were clearly alive for me. And, but then I started thinking about them and, and a huge amount of fear rose up and really kind of like a, a paralyzing fear and kind of a confirmation of the idea that I I had actually nothing to say about any of these things. And it became clear that wanting to cancel the talk uh, was a protection to keep me from sitting in the middle of of the fear fueled by this belief that I would have nothing to say. The idea of being shoeless and homeless in front of you, too much to bear. And the idea of sitting here and actually not knowing what I can offer, too much to bear. So back to this dream, you know, sitting with my friend George in Texas. I lived in Texas for nine years and I don't want to demonize Texas. Maybe a little bit, (laughs) but Texas is kind of, I think in this dream kind of, stands in for my pre-Dharmic life. You know, I'm sitting in this backyard, smoking, probably drinking a beer. We had just eaten, probably had like this rapacious barbecue meal. I'm coveting these hand-stitched leather shoes. So much so much so that I'm willing to leave my friend and start wandering across Texas in search of shoes and a new home. Priest ordination in in Zen is uh, also called home leaving. So part of the, part of the request of making that vow is actually leaving 
behind a home, leaving behind something that's familiar, that's protective, like a well-worn pair of shoes. And going forward into something else that's not that. So it's, uh, you could say it's uh, home leaving is kind of uh, You can say it's an ongoing iterative process. You don't just leave home once, or at least this is my experience. Home leaving is always happening and always um, being asked of me. What are the old familiar ways that I'm reacting right now? What would it mean to step outside of that and respond from a homeless position, from a shoeless position. And I think that's exactly the where I was this morning. I was like, I really, I can't do this. And even when I was thinking about, you know, one of my topics that I had in mind about how to navigate between devotional activity and, uh, and a kind of toxic, constricted overworking. And I thought I could, oh, I could talk about that and then give some advice about how I navigate that. And I realized, and talking with Laura clarified this for me, I actually don't know how to navigate that. I don't know. It's very, uh, it's very situational, very context dependent. For me, it's, I think when I am kind of operating from a wholesome devotional place, that's pretty clear. Like I can feel that in my body. There's a sense of like energy and joy in the activity. Um, And then I can also notice when I'm going into something like with resentment and kind of just going through the motions. And, and you might think, Oh, then that means I should take care of self, take care of myself and go take a nap or, or do something except that I've had the experience sometimes of being in that constricted, resentful place and continuing to work. And then as if by grace, I kind of enter into this clearing and all of a sudden I'm joyful and spacious and uh, devoted. And I can't completely explain that. <laughs> and maybe, you know, at the, uh, at the end, when we have questions, we could have a discussion about that. I'd, um, I'd be curious to fill in the topography in that, in that space.
because sometimes I do need to rest. And sometimes, and then sometimes if I rest, then I'm, I'm missing something. So that really is like an I don't know is the truth there. I remember also at Union and in some class, I can't remember what it was. Um, and they were talking about, uh, I guess they were talking about priests or something. And, and like part of the training that they were, I think this was in the, uh, there was a class called Death, Dying, and Bereavement. And they were talking about uh, having to do funerals as as a priest and the teacher was saying you know sometimes you're not going to want to do the funeral like you have no control over that and sometimes you have to do the funeral when you don't want to or when it doesn't feel right or maybe even when you have nothing to say so i shared this with laura and she was like yes so Basically, as the more I talk with Laura, all my escape routes kind of <laughs> evaporated. And I let them. So how do we practice with that kind of not knowing? I mean, the, the phrase not knowing gets thrown around in Zen so often that it's it's almost easy for it to become you know, cliche, not knowing is most intimate. But for me, especially this morning, this not known, there was a, there was a physical, there were symptoms of this not knowing that I was feeling in my body. It was, it was scary. So how do we, um, include that uh, in our practice, how do we uh, allow that in so that 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 fear can be met and metabolized? I think no, I know one way is sangha. Homeless and shoeless doesn't mean alone. In fact, quite the opposite. Whole worlds are there in in homelessness and, and shoelessness. And the for me in this in this kind of agonizing process of this talk. The, the moments that were helpful for me were when I opened myself up to Sangha. When I asked Ryan and Kaishin, what should I talk about? When I went to Laura and said, I can't do this talk. Kaishin's question pulled a spontaneous response out of me. And 
and my meeting with Laura mirrored mirrored my old story so I could see it held up. And there was, there was companionship there that, uh, that came up in the midst of the not knowing, which was, uh, which was a relief, great relief. And it's the only reason I'm sitting here right now and not doing work practice in the kitchen or something. So I think those that to take those first steps, those uh, or even a giant leap um, into into not knowing, we have, we do this with others. I think some of us are going to be watching Thelma and Louise tomorrow night. <laughs> Not that I'm advocating, <laughs> but, you know, Thelma couldn't do what she did without Louise. And Louise couldn't do what she did without Thelma. So I think we need others to, to make those leaps. And they also have to steer clear of Texas too. Another way to um, take on the practice of not knowing is, is working with the precepts or working with a precept. Pick one. You know, these, the, the, the precepts are held up and they also function as mirrors to our to our old habitual ways so there's a precept against not lying we can start to take that on and then we start to see all the gross and subtle ways that we don't tell the truth. And we notice the effects of that. And as we uh, amass the body of evidence, literally a body of evidence of how it feels when we don't tell the truth in this situation, that situation, Suddenly, these well-worn, tried-and-true habits aren't so comfortable anymore. And we can, take those, we can take those shoes off and put them aside. And the nice thing about the precepts is, you know, and, and practicing with Sangha is it allows, uh, you can kind of, it's kind of a, a formal controlled situation in, in certain contexts where you can actually um, do this as a, as a gradual practice. You know, you don't have to jump off the 100-foot pole. 
Sometimes you do, but sometimes you can start with three feet and see how that feels. And then maybe you have to climb up and stand back in that pole for a while in your shoes. But the precepts allow us, they actually accompany, accompany us on this journey into not knowing, going beyond all the habits and behaviors that have held us in good stead and protected us all this time. Or at least so we, so we think, so we believe, so the body believes. The precepts are pulling us along into another way of being. That's maybe uncertain, but it's, it's relational. It's in the world. We, uh, it points to a way of, of meeting each other. You know, Chimio was talking last week about, you know, meeting without meeting. And, uh, the precepts actually can orient us to an authentic meeting, an authentic meeting. So the combination of, of community and precepts practice is great support for moving into realms of not knowing, into a situation, I'm thinking of that chant, you know, embrace the territory, treasure the road, where you can actually take refuge in, in a new relational orientation to the world, to others, to the earth, And it entails, of course, also vulnerability. You know, literally open your, opening the heart to, to something mysterious. To another person who I can't completely know. To a context where I can only see my own perspective. So shoelessness and homelessness are, are vulnerable. And again, with community, the In community, we can start seeing our story of what that vulnerability is going to be like and meet the actual experience of that vulnerability. I had all kinds of, I had built a whole 
well-crafted story of all the reasons I couldn't give this talk. Um, and there was like a rage under there. It was like raging against the idea of me giving this talk. And all those things were simply from the place, from where I am now, I see them as protective strategies that were keeping me from actually sitting here in a room in front of a computer and not knowing, and maybe not knowing exactly what I'm going to say next. And it's not that bad. It's a little bad. It's kind of scary, but it's, it's, it's actually tolerable. It really is tolerable. So can the body, that's good information. Can we take in that good information and actually bask in how tolerable it is for me to sit here and not know exactly what's coming next? So I'd like this talk to be uh, an encouragement. for us to go forward into some version of homelessness, however that looks. It doesn't require robes or ordination or living in a monastery. There are all kinds of great and small ways we can do this in our relationships, in our home life, It can be as simple as just plopping down a, a, a period of zazen in the morning during a time when you normally do something else. Maybe 20 minutes of being still with the body and mind and watch it come up and want to grab for something else and just watch it. and then come back a second day. Zazen is obviously the preliminary, sort of the foundational practice for being, practicing stillness so that when we do take a leap, we're doing it with some intention and not just toppling off the top of the pole. You can actually take a breath and leap. Take a breath and step. So the mind, you know, Zazen helps build a capacity for being with all, all the sensations that arise when the the threatening prospect of taking this uncharted step comes up.
So I'd like to uh, encourage us, and I'm absolutely including myself in that, uh, to take off our shoes. The monastery, I don't have a choice. There's signs here. Take off your shoes here. Put on your shoes here. (laughs) But we can all make those decisions for ourselves. To take off our shoes and put our feet on the earth. To put our feet on the carpet, on the floor, wherever we are. And feel that contact with 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 another being, the support, the support of life. So, I want to thank you for your attention this morning. I don't have anything else. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.